that's probably it's pronouncements. All right. Revelation chapter 18. Yeah, as we continue on closing in uh, on the end of Revelation. So and chapter 17 last week, we began uh, to look again at Babylon. Now, Babylon's been mentioned several times as we've gone through. And it encompasses a lot. And so uh, it, it's sometimes hard to get a grip on what's being focused on uh, because Babylon is, is in the tribulation, is a picture of uh, really what happened all the way back at the Tower of Babel. The idea of man's wisdom and accomplishment and ability and even spirituality without God. It is purposely removing him from the equation, saying we can do all of this stuff without you, right? That's what happened at the Tower of Babel, and this is the apex of that attitude and of that lifestyle that so permeates our, our world. Um, and so it really is just a rebellion against God. Uh, but as I said, looking at chapter 17, we see really God dealing with the pinnacle of it. And it, it involves an economic, worldwide economic structure, political structure, and religion that will be formed in the end days, uh, in, that, in that time of the tribulation. And, and we saw that really it's centered around a city. And there's some questions. Some people say, well, it could be a couple cities because of some of the descriptions. But there's a lot of things that point to Rome um, being at least a focus of what's taking place with this spirit of Babylon. And uh, some people say, well, no, it's, it's the actual city of, of Babylon. And sure enough, uh, in Iraq, uh, Saddam Hussein rebuilt the old city of, of Babylon. He, that was his achievement that he was going to be known for. Uh, didn't work out so well. And so now there's this empty city uh, on the remains of Babylon, or what's believed to be Babylon. And it, but it doesn't fit any, any description. That place, uh, though it exists, it doesn't fit any of the descriptions that we have in Scripture or of Babylon. It's, uh, I think it's important we understand that it's pointing to the symbol of Babylon, right? And so, yes, there's a city involved, but it's more than just a city. It's the economic, political, and religious power of Babylon, and last week in chapter 17, the main focus was on God dealing with the religious system, pointing out what it is and what it's going to accomplish, how it's going to be used by the Antichrist. And it's called Mystery, Babylon the Great, the Mother of Harlots, the Abomination, and the Abominations of the Earth. This religion is going to be, as I said, the pinnacle of idol worship. It's going to be pointing everybody to worshiping the Antichrist or the image of him or the devil himself. Again, anything but God is the idea. And it's going to bring the world together to worship those things. And the world's going to look to those things for their comfort, for their provision. Um, the Antichrist is going to use it. And this is the description that we heard that the woman, which is a picture of that religion, that she rides upon the beast, which is the Antichrist. And so it will appear as though the Antichrist is actually 
under the authority of this religion. That he is the one going, no, this is my higher power, my higher calling. I'm, I'm just a humble servant and, and I'm no one important. And he's going to seem very humble and even righteous. But he is using this religion to manipulate and to seduce the world. Along with him, the false prophet and these ten kings that were mentioned will also do the same thing. But in the end, they will destroy this religion. They will use it for all it's worth and discard it. And it will be used up. So chapter 17 was really the judgment of the religious Babylon. Today, chapter 18 is going to be the economic Babylon and the city that it is centered in. Um, And this is a final and absolute judgment on that city. So let's pray, and we will get into it. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word, and we pray that you would speak to us. Show us how these things apply not only to the future events, but to our lives personally. That you would help us to be those that are drawing closer to you and further out of this world. And uh, we just thank you for this time that we get to spend in your word. Have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So starting verse 1, chapter 18, it says, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. The merchants of the earth have become rich through her abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquity, rendering to her just as she rendered to you. And repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the measure that she has glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she has said in her heart, I sit as a queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. Therefore, her plagues will come upon her in one day. Death and mourning and famine and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. This angel comes down from heaven. And it's interesting to me because each time an angel is described, I try and kind of picture it, and, and each time I'm like kind of in awe of the idea. And again, there's very little detail about who this angel is, what his purpose is, but he comes down with heaven with such glory, the entire earth is lit up by it. Now, one commentator that I read, I, I liked his idea that the idea is that he is coming out of the presence of the Lord so fresh that the glory of God is shining out of him with this incredible strength, right? Because the moment has come for Babylon to fall. And again, we can kind of look at this and go, okay, well, Babylon hasn't, the Babylon it's speaking of, the city has not been around that long. I mean, the tribulation begins, it's only seven years long, and so this city has seen a, a very quick rise. 
But the spirit of Babylon has been around for a long time. So it, again, it isn't just the city. It's, it's this rebellious nature that man believes that they can do all these things and be all of this without God. And so he says, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Now this message has gone out before. If you remember in chapter 13, excuse me, chapter 14, there were three angels. And each of these angels, in one way or another, is warning the remainder of mankind. The first preaches the everlasting gospel to every nation, every tribe, every tongue. No one is excluded. Everyone worldwide has heard the gospel if by no other means than that angel preaching it. Right Now the next speaks of Babylon's fall and warns of Babylon's uh, doom is, is close at hand. The idea of warning the world not to buy into this system. Don't buy in or look to Babylon as, as some sort of comfort or provision because it's about to fall. And then the last warns, the last angel warns that anybody that takes the mark will be lost forever. So this warning has gone out. But this is the fulfillment of that second angel's warning. And the focus is, is on the city, uh, but like I said, really on the, the, that rebellious system that man has always created. It's now just reached that pinnacle. Babylon, the city that's being spoken of here, is, is like the tippy top when it comes to wealth and glory. Whatever this city is going to be, and it may be Rome or it might be another, uh, some have suggested Dubai, you know, that it, it is going to be whatever glory it starts at, it's going to just accelerate beyond anyone's ability to comprehend. So much wealth. It's going to be the world center for economic trade. Everything's going to go through this city in one way or another. And so this city is just going to explode with wealth and is going to be absolutely beautiful and everything, but absolutely evil at its core. And it speaks really how far the reach has gone of this city. In verse 3 it says, All the nations have drunk the wine of her fornication. The kings of the earth, meaning all the kings of the earth, have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through her abundant luxury. Everybody's been touched worldwide in multiple levels. All of the nations, all of the kings, all of the merchants. Her power has flooded the earth. And again, it's important we understand it's speaking of a spiritual adultery, spiritual fornication. I mean, there's, there's lots of immorality going on as well. But what's being identified here is that people are bowing down to the image of the beast, to the Antichrist, to the false prophet, that they're looking to all of these other things going, see, we don't need God. We don't need God. We don't need Jesus. We, we've got this guy. We've got this, this, the Antichrist. They won't call him that, <laughs> probably. Probably won't wear a name badge. Antichrist or anything. But they're going to look to him and they're going to see miracles and signs and wonders through the false prophet that serves him. And they're going to go, this is where the power's at. This is what we've been, this is what all mankind has been looking for all this time. But it's all about to end. Now, again, Babylon is, is the extreme. But the same attitude 
is alive and well today. Not that people are necessarily worshiping the Antichrist or the image or even the devil, uh, but they are looking to the world for provision and protection. And just like we'll see with Babylon, it seems to work for a while. I mean, I think we've all been in a place where we see somebody, and we don't have to look very far, social media, any media, to see people in our world that are not great people, but seem to succeed at everything. I mean, they've got, they've got money, and, they, and even though they're, they're horrible people, the world's like, oh, they're the greatest. You're like, no, they're not. <laughs> they're not good people. And, and nobody really seems to question their motives or anything. And we go, why is it that it seems to work out for them? You know, I, I, if there's a couple different psalms that ask that same question. Why do the evil seem to, pr- to prosper? Why do I see the people of God suffer and I see the evil just seem to, to do everything they want to do? Well, just like the city of Babylon, yeah, it seems like that at first. And yeah, there's, a, there's pleasure in sin for a season. There's, there's a time where things seem to go their way. And then there's a time it ends. And it's that fast. And so... For the people in this world, people in this life, they start looking to the world for protection and provision. There's a day for everybody, but that ends. No matter what treasure was accumulated, no matter how it was attained, it is all gone in an instant. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a story. You don't have to turn there, but you might jot it down if you want. Uh, look it up later. Great story. Luke 12, starting about verse 19. And this farmer has an abundant year and brings in all of this grain, and he doesn't have room for it in his barn. So he says, well, what should I do? I'll, I'll tear down my old barns, and I'll store up everything for myself. And that's the key to the whole thing right there. And then I'll say to myself, self, And that's what it says. (laughs) I laugh every time. Just take it easy. Just do nothing. Just just rest. And he says, uh, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take ease, eat and drink and be merry. But then God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And then, whose will those things be which you have provided? And so he who lays up, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And as Jesus spoke about it, it's pretty clear that, again, this person isn't, that Jesus spoke about here isn't necessarily evil. They're not enslaving people. They're not harming people. But the things that they've been blessed with, they hoard. This is my stuff, and I'm going to save it up for me and nobody else. And the Lord goes, tonight is your last night on earth. So then whose will all that stuff go to? It won't be yours anymore. Now, the day comes for everybody. Now, there's nothing wrong with saving or planning or investing. That's not what the Lord's talking about there. Uh, In fact, we're called in, in several different ways to be good stewards of the things we've been given. But we are to be careful not to look for our security or our provision or our future in anything this world has to offer. Not land, not money, not career, nothing that we can find here on this earth 
is eternal. It will all come to an end. Again, we're called to be wise with the things we're given, but we are called to invest those things into heaven. And that's, that's the key. So I've known people that are very wealthy, and God uses them to then bless others. They don't make a big deal about it. They don't you know, ring a bell and put their name up on a wall or any of that stuff. They're, they just know that the things that they've been given are all the Lord's. And they're looking for opportunity. Lord, where do I invest what you've given? I, I think that's the right attitude. No matter what we have, that's how we're to be, right? To be those that are investing into heaven to the people that it, he has brought into our lives. Because it is very easy for us to get drawn in to the world and into the world system. You know, we like to say, oh, well, yeah, I'd never do that. Yeah, we all do. We all find ourselves slowly drifting and we find ourselves, oh, how did I get here? Right? And so while this call goes out to the people, the actual people that are in Babylon, this city that's about to be judged, come out of her, my people. That those that belong to Jesus Christ during the tribulation, the Lord speaks to them and goes, you need to get out of this city. Right? And it's interesting because historically, I actually meant to do some research on this and I didn't get time to, but uh, a very similar event took place in Jerusalem. That Jerusalem, there was this intensity building and you, you could tell things were not going well about 70 AD as the Romans were making their way uh, to encircle Jerusalem and eventually destroy it. But even before that took place, while the church had been there through thick and thin and persecution and imprisonment and all this stuff, the church leaders just kind of went, we're done here, and left Jerusalem. Now, in the same way, in fact, in a very more real way, uh, this is going to take place there in the city before God judges it during the tribulation. But I think that there's also a couple strong warnings for us today as the Lord reminds us, come out of her, my people. Don't buy in to what the world is trying to sell you. And again, it's so subtle. Uh, and there's two things that we're warned about specifically, that we would not share in her sins and that we would not um, receive any of her plagues, Right? First of all, that we would not share in her sins. Um, again, we look at that, well, I wouldn't want to get into all that. I mean, the, what the world's doing, I don't want to do that. But it's that slow drift where things that used to be offensive are no longer offensive, and then pretty soon they're acceptable, and then it's okay. And, and oh, I don't know if it's really sin. That's a, a slow progression. And, and it still is going to carry with it consequences. We begin to share in the sins of the world because the world seems to be okay with it. And, and unfortunately, in too many cases, the time comes where even the church starts to be okay with it as well. And, and it's hard. I mean, there are several examples I can think of right now that by taking a hard stand on these things like we do, we've been kind of told that, oh, you guys are like so old-fashioned and you guys, I can't believe you still believe that. And well, we believe it because the Bible says it. And so we're going to hold to that. And if the Bible says this is sin, it's still sin. It doesn't matter if the whole world votes for it and says it's not, it still is. And we're going to stay there because we'd rather be found right on God's side than share in the sins of the world, right? I think a good example of that is uh, in the Old Testament, 
uh, Abraham's nephew, Lot. Now, he starts off with Abraham, and they kind of get in a conflict, and, and Abraham just says, hey, man, just choose the area that you want to graze your, your sheep, and you take that part, and me and my, my family will go to another place. And so he chooses the area that's toward Sodom and Gomorrah. And there's this progression that takes place when you read about what happens with Lot, that first he sets his tent facing the city, and then he's just outside the city, and then he's in the city, and then we find him as a leader in the city itself. And we go, well, okay, so does that mean that he was wrong to be in there? Well, we're told in Second uh, Peter that righteous Lot was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. That he was there and it was taking its toll. That though he knew what was right, it was just, it was just dragging him down. And though there isn't anything that we look at and go, well, Lot did this or he did that or he committed some horrible sin, we can definitely see that it took a huge toll on his family and on his marriage. When the angel rescued them and took them out, why did his wife look back? Because that was her favorite place to be. And then we see the other destruction that takes place later on, just the wickedness of his own daughters. and, and it, It's a slow progression, right? And... The second is that it talks about uh, receiving of her plagues. Uh, that could just be natural consequences, right? And that might be sickness, and that might be uh, just the natural consequences of sin. But I still think about Lot, and the plague of sin just continued to haunt his family even after they left the city. That it was still clinging to them, right? And again, it's it's that slow process. It's very subtle. It's very seductive. And for all that Babylon promises, all of her pride, all of her arrogance, it all comes to an end. It will all be judged with an absolute final justice. In fact, and then some. That not only has this been a place of great wealth and luxury, it's also been a place of great wickedness. That they've been after the Christians. They've been hunting them down, that the blood of the saints was found in its streets, and, and that the blood of the martyrs were, was found really on the hands of the city. And so God says that he will repay to her double. Now this is about the part where people, again, if you don't follow along, if you don't keep the whole context of the book of Revelation, and you read about just this judgment about the fall in the city, you go, some would say, well, how could a loving God allow that? Why would a loving God bring that judgment? Well, again, look back at how he has been pleading with the whole world to repent, sending angels to preach the gospel, warning them, don't fall for what Babylon's trying to sell you. Don't take that mark or you'll be lost. Just begging and pleading with all of mankind to repent and receive salvation. And they have refused and refused and refused, and so judgment has come. Throughout Scripture, whenever we see that, when that judgment falls, it falls swiftly. And once it falls, it's done. There's no, there's no changing your mind then. For the people in Noah's day, Noah preached righteousness his entire time that he was there building the ark. And when it began to rain, it was too late for everybody else. The rapture will be the same. That the gospel has gone out into the whole world, yet when the rapture comes, those who are left behind will be left behind. They don't get a 
somehow jump on board at the end and catch their own rapture. They can still be saved, but they won't be raptured. And so it'll be the same as this whole world system is judged. Now, the question that I was thinking about is, is we understand the, the draw of the world, the draw of Babylon for all of us. And, and I think if we're being honest, we all can be drawn in one direction or another. We've seen it in our own lives, how subtle it can be. So how do we keep ourselves safe? How, how do we seek the Lord in a way that keeps us in a safe place? Well, I think the Lord lays it out several times, but I think a lot of times there's a disconnect of it being the way of our safety and what he's talking about specifically. So, uh, first of all, in Matthew chapter 6, again, you might want to jot that down. I'm just going to read it to you. Matthew 6, starting in verse 19, says, Do not lay up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. How do we go about that? How do we lay up for ourselves treasure in heaven? Because it's obvious we can't take it with us, right? I mean, everybody knows that. There's an old saying that I love, you can't take it with you, but you can set it, send it ahead. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. You're not taking your treasure with you, but you can invest it now in heaven. But how do we go about that? I think there's a lot of different ways. Um, and I think a big one, while it can be speaking about our time, it can be speaking about uh, different ways of meeting another person's need, that all counts. I think very specifically, it's about how we spend our money. And this is the part where we all kind of go, ugh, a message on money, right? Because it's been so overdone. It's been so abused. And, and the, there are churches and there are pastors and every single Sunday is about give, 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 give. And if you don't give, this ministry is going to fail and all this other stuff. We've all been beat to death with that. And because we have a, a kind of a aversion to it, I think sometimes we miss the importance of why Jesus told us the importance of giving. This is what keeps us safe. This is what keeps us from falling for Babylon. And being seduced by the things of the world, it is giving. I believe it's the reason that God instituted the whole law of tithing. And again, people have misused that, people have abused that, they've beat people and made people feel guilty about tithing. But again, it's not that God needs our money. And, and I tell you, every time I hear on the radio or in media or wherever where somebody's like, give, give, you got to give or this ministry is going to fail, I'm like, Maybe it should. I mean, if God's not providing, then maybe that's not the direction he's guiding. And I believe that where he guides, he does provide. And we don't need to beg. We don't need to make people feel guilty and try and manipulate people into giving. But tithing, again, it's not about God needing our money. It's about us needing to give it. Because we're not so good at giving it. It's so subtle. It, it, it's a reminder to me, and I'm sure we've all experienced this, right? We're like planning out, yep, we're going to tithe, we're going to give. That's our plan. We've got something figured out. And then it comes time to either write that check or punch in the number or whatever, and you find that the fingers are just a little bit tighter around those dollar bills than you thought they were. And you got to work a little, yeah, right? 
But you got to have that reminder. Without it, man, again, very subtly, we start going that other way. It's meant as a safety net to us to remind us that we are to be those who are generous. That we give from a joyful heart. Tithing specifically, giving is the same. It's meant to be an act of worship. It really is. Like prayer, like singing, it's meant to be an act of worship. That's why we don't make a big deal of it here. It's why I don't make a big deal of it. Because that's between you and the Lord. I never know who's giving. I never want to know. Because it's between you and the Lord. Just like during worship, I don't come up to you and go, are you really singing those words from your heart? I mean, you're saying the words, but I don't know. Do you really mean it? Did you really mean that prayer that you prayed? Right? It's between you and the Lord. It's meant to be a joyful act of worship. And I believe he takes pleasure in it, but he has given it to us to keep us safe. I know I've told this story before. and Just again, it's a, it, I always think of this when it comes to tithing. When I was a kid, I developed a nervous habit of clenching my fist. And I didn't realize how bad it was. Uh, I went to my mom and I told her, look, I'm, I've got all this sh- shoulder pain and my arms hurt all the time. I don't know what's going on. And so she goes, well, let's go to the doctor. When we go to the doctor, I'm there in the office and I'm explaining it to him. And the doctor says, do you do that all the time? And I go, do what? He goes, what are you doing right now? I said, I'm just sitting here. He goes, look at your hands. And my hands were clenched like this. And I didn't realize it. And he goes, that's what's causing it. And and so from that point on, my mom would just keep an eye on me. And we'd be in the car or we'd be at home or watching TV. And and she would just look over and go, open your hands up. Oh, oh, okay. And she was just a constant reminder to me of, of this subtle little thing that I had started doing that was doing so much damage. That's what the Lord intended tithing to be. To remind us, open your hands up. It's what giving is to be. Be generous. Open your hands up. Be the people that give bigger tips, that meet people's needs even before they ask, that are right there when there's a need, and give more than is required because it frees us up. It keeps us safe. Babylon loses its hold over us. And I believe it is how in the church today the Lord is calling us Come out of her, my people. Right? Verse 9. And we're going to kind of wrap up here. I'm going to go kind of quickly through the rest of the chapter. Verse 9 says, The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her. When they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of, the tor- of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, the mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, 
every kind of object, most, most precious woods and bronze, iron, marble, and cinnamon, and incense, and fragrant oils, frankincense, and wine, and oil, and fine flour, and wheat, cattle, and sheep, and horses, and chariots, and bodies, and souls of men. And the fruit that your soul longed for is gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. And the merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great riches has come to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailor, and as many as who trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? And they threw dust on their heads, and they cried out, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, the great city, in which all who had ships of the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you, holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. The kings of the earth will weep and lament when they see the smoke of her burning. Now, there's a lot of guesses of what this judgment will be or what it'll look like. And some people say, well, it's, it's a, it could be a nuclear strike. It could be chemical warfare. I think it's far more than that. Whatever it is, is so horrifying that even in its aftermath, everyone is terrified to get anywhere near that city. There's going to be no rescue, no search parties, no relief effort. Nobody's looking survivors because there are none. It is sudden and complete and devastating. And everyone that's mentioned there, the kings and the merchants and the sailors and everyone else, each one is mentioned that they stand afar off. No one goes near it because of the fear of her judgment. Now also it says the merchants of the earth will also mourn. Merchants of gold and silver and precious stones. And it gives us a big long list of all the different things. But everything listed there, the idea behind all of them is that these are things of luxury and wealth. Even though common things like cattle are mentioned. But the idea is like it's the best. It's, it's the very best of everything. This is what the wealthy were after. And these are the luxurious things of life. But nothing that's listed there is needed. Nothing is just about survival. It's only the very best. And what they mourn for, the kings and the merchants, are not for the people. It's not about the loss of life. It's about the loss of profit. It's about the loss of money. No one will sell there anymore. They don't care about the people that all died. They're not concerned for that at all. And one of the things that's interesting in this long list at the end, and every time I read it, I just get like the shiver up my spine, that one of the things that it was sold in the city were the bodies and the souls of men. It's, it's a deep saying, what, what's being said there, and it encompasses a lot of things. But the idea is that the wealth of this city, the majority of it came from the exploitation of others especially the weak. In our day and age, that points to 
three big things that are already at work, very prevalent, unfortunately, in our society and in our world, human trafficking, prostitution, and pornography. That is selling the bodies and the souls of men. In verse 16, they say, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple, scarlet, adorned in gold and precious stones and pearls. The exact same description of the woman that rides the beast. It's exactly how she was pictured to us earlier on. Verse 21 says, Then the mighty angel took up a stone, like a great millstone, and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down, and shall not be found any more. The sound of a harpist, musician, flutist, trumpeter shall not, shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore. The sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. The voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For the merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery the nations were deceived, and in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and of all who were slain on the earth. Again, the city is going to be the center for economic trade and wealth, and it seemed to be unstoppable. Just before this judgment, the day before this judgment, any of us would see that city and go, there's, there's no end to it. This thing's just got power and wealth and, and might and, and can do just about whatever it wants. And then it was gone. And again, it's a great reminder to us of the power of the God that we serve, right? In the arrogance, the idea of Babylon is exactly what was said back in verse 7. I sit as a queen. I am no widow. In other words, my power did not come through some person's death or was not given to me. I've attained it all on my own, and I will not see sorrow ever is the idea. That's like the pinnacle of, of human pride. I'm a self-made man. I've, I've accomplished everything on my own. I don't need anybody for anything, and I'm never going to fall. Well, it's not going to work for Babylon or anybody else. In an instant, Babylon becomes desolate. And it's, there's something heartbreaking about the description that's given to us of nobody's ever going to sing in you ever again. Not one song will ever be sung. Not one instrument will ever be played. No one will ever hear a bride and a bridegroom say, I do in you ever again. Desolate, empty, never ever to be rebuilt. And again, it makes me think of what Jesus said. And then whose will those things be which you have provided? All that city had, all that wealth, all that power. What's it, what's it count for now? It's all gone. Again, for us, I think the application, I want to be careful because I don't want to make it sound like it, it's about that we shouldn't have things. What's important is that things don't have us. Right? I think God can mightily use the things that he's given. We're called to be good stewards, to invest into the lives of others with 
physical things, whether that's money or food, even our time, or spiritual gifts that we've been given through the Holy Spirit, they are given to us to give away, right? That's good stewardship. And when we do it by God's leading in His direction, that's what they were given to us for anyway. It's a matter of our heart. And I think the indicators that are given to us are how do we respond when it is time to give? Whether that's a tithe, whether that's someone in need, whether it's a person we know, whether it's giving our time to somebody that we're like, I really don't have time for you. What is our response when we have to suddenly give? It's a good indicator to me anyway of where my heart's at at the time. Again, I think it's important we're being led by the Holy Spirit, but when He leads us, hey, give to this person. Spend time with that person. Invest into their lives. And we go, oh, we don't want that. We want to be those that are like, yeah, Lord, let's do this. Let's be in this place together, in this place of service together. You show me how to do it, and I'll do it, right? Again, that keeps us safe, keeps us out of the trap of Babylon. As we invest into others, we're investing into heaven itself, storing up our treasure there. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, again, we're so grateful that you have invested everything into us. You have poured out blessing after blessing. You have provided in every way. And God, we want to be those that then turn and bless others, that encourage others, that invest into others that we might invest into heaven. And Lord, you know how that's done. I pray that you'd be speaking to each and every one of us this week how to invest into the lives of the people around us. Lead us, Holy Spirit, on how that's to be done. And we just uh, give you ourselves and thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand if you'd like.